Climbing to the cockpit with pilot and Link Square's Chief Legal Officer, Tim Perilla, as he invites legal leaders aboard to share advice that will help you navigate even the most turbulent times of in-house counsel work. We'll cover a range of topics from data privacy to legal team structure to public company transactions and beyond. You don't want to miss this series. Fasten your seatbelt and prepare for takeoff. You're listening to Cockpit Council. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Cockpit Council. My name's Tim. I'm the Chief Legal Officer at Link Squares. As always, we have our producer, Alyssa Frenzino, and today we are joined by Rob Chestnut. Rob, welcome. Tim, thanks for having me here. Thanks for coming on. It's great to uh, great to have the chance to sit down and chat a little bit. So um, let, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, your career, and, uh, and what you're doing now. I'm a lawyer. <laughs> I, shocking. I, uh, I was a federal prosecutor early in my career Yeah. Uh, in Virginia. I prosecuted uh, spy cases, uh, but also drug dealers, bank robbers, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but we had tech uh, in our jurisdiction, AOL. If people remember okay. AOL, they yeah, actually yeah. were in Northern Virginia. Okay. So I got a little bit involved in tech, uh, ended up moving to the West Coast to be uh, at eBay, uh, ran their trust and safety department and ran North America Legal. Yeah. And then later became general counsel at Chegg and general counsel and chief ethics officer at Airbnb. That's awesome. That's awesome. We start every episode the same way. All right. All right. What is your pre-flight ritual? Before getting on an airplane. Before getting on an actual wow. airplane. So yeah. before I get on an airplane, I, I learned over the years, I, I worked with global companies and flights can last longer than you expect and I get hungry. <laughs> so so my pre-flight ritual is to make sure I've got an emergency sandwich yeah. or some, you know, something something that if you assume that something goes wrong or they, the food right. they've got is terrible or they don't have any food at all, I'm at least going to make it through. I'm not going to starve. <laughs> That's my ritual. Nice, nice. So I, I running from being a federal prosecutor all the way through Airbnb, watch stuff in between. What was what was your favorite part about being a federal prosecutor first? Wow, favorite part, you certainly got to meet people in life you didn't ordinarily run into. Right? Right. It was it was a, it was, I think, broadening horizons. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I enjoyed the fact that I was learning about, uh, you know, world and cultures that I never really would otherwise get exposed to. Uh, I also love the responsibility. Yeah. You know, I think I had a lot of friends in law school who were at big firms and they were doing document searches and document yeah. productions and the like. And I got to stand up in court yeah. and try cases in front of juries, which I thought, you know, that was pretty cool. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Is that something that you missed uh, when you when you ended up going into tech, going in-house? Uh, no, I got it out yeah. of my system. All right. Uh, you, know, jury, you know, jury trials were a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but you know what? I, I, I've enjoyed deals more in terms yeah. of I enjoyed uh, settling cases. Right. Uh, because, right. you know, when you when you settle a case with a with a defendant, you can get cooperation. Right. You know, the person can help work, uh, work off their sentence and have a, a better result for them. Right. And I really find that I enjoy situations where they're win win. Yeah. Uh, and uh, if you go to trial, that means that the individual uh, is gambling everything and they're, you know, right. they're, they're going to lose in, mo in most cases. Yeah. And they're going to go to jail. A young person's going to go to jail for a long period of time. And that wasn't as satisfying to be honest with you. Yeah. So that was something that 
when it came to moving over to the business world, I was actually kind of looking forward to that. I like yeah. I like this concept of working collaboratively together to come up with a result that works for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Was that something that that early on in your career, like right when you started uh, started as a federal prosecutor, was that a mindset that you had where it's like these people are risking everything? Um, how did you know? How did you think about how you conduct yourself, knowing that? Well, you have to be careful. You represent the United States. You know, you're right. with the Justice Department, so you always have to make sure that that you are comporting yourself in a way that you're going to be proud of, and that you, uh, you you don't want anyone to ever feel you, you want justice to be done. Yeah. In that sense, which you, that means you can't be in a winning mo uh, mentality right. 100% of the time. You've actually trying to get to a result that you feel good about and that the public would feel good about if right. they were familiar with the situation. Uh, so I, I think that was uh, important to me in going through that process of um, because there are some people, I think, who are prosecutors. All they care about is winning. Right. And it's a dangerous I, I, spot to be in. Which is, you know, yeah. the, it was interesting. The person that, that uh, I ended up running the major crimes unit, the person that ran the major crimes unit before I did, ended up getting accused of withholding uh, exculpatory material. Uh, a judge found that, that he had done so. Yeah. Uh, and ended up wrecking his career. So then the office turned to me and said, all right, now you're running the major crimes unit. <laughs> so I, I think it was a, um, uh, it, it weighed heavily on me in light yeah. of what, what happened to my predecessor, just to make sure that I wanted the judges to have confidence that when I stood up in front of them, that they, that they could rely on my word, that they had confidence that I was really trying to do the right thing. I wanted the defense bar to feel that way about me as well. Yeah. Uh, because you gotta, in order to work out, uh, work out deals and plea agreements, they've got to trust that you're going to follow through on your end. So yeah. I, I spent a lot of time thinking about that sort of thing, I think, as a prosecutor. The reason I asked to ask that you get into that a little bit is obviously you wrote a book about intentional integrity. And it seems like that's a really good place where uh, and, and honestly, a great example, their predecessor didn't really have much integrity at all. Uh, and this is something that obviously, obviously shaped whether whether you specifically called it out at that time and had that an area of mental focus or not, it's obviously something that shapes your entire career. You know, I, I never thought that much specifically about, like I never thought I'd write a book about you know, right. integrity, for example, in business. Yeah. Um, but I think back about it, you know, my mom, you know, it, it, a lot of times it comes from when you're really young. And I have this yeah. story, I relate this in the book of, I have this memory of being young, going to a grocery store with my mom. And we, I remember we were out in the parking lot, putting the groceries in the car. And my mom looked at me suddenly. She said, we've got to go back inside. What are we going back inside for? So I follow my mom inside. My mom goes to the cashier. And I remember my mom had money and gave the, gave the cashier some money. Yeah. And I asked my mom, well, what, what's going on? And my mom said, uh, she gave us the wrong change. She gave us too yeah. much change. And it really struck me that, that we were going out of our way right. uh, to do that. And the older I got, the more I realized that, you know, it's really easy to rationalize. It would have been very easy for my mom to say, oh, we spend a lot of money at that store anyway, or yeah. their groceries are so expensive, or I'm not going back in. Yeah. But you know, doing the right thing was important to my mom. Yeah. And it was like a life lesson. Right. And I, from that time on, it was just a commitment I made to myself. You know what? 
if if I ever leave a store accidentally without paying for something or I get the wrong change, I'm going to follow my mom's example. Right. And so, you know, it's uh, in a way it's kind of woven through what I've done in my life. And I think it started a lot with the way I was raised. So and carried all the way through now yeah, in, right. in a very meaningful material way, which is great. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your time at Airbnb and um, would love to hear, you know, some of the takeaways, really interesting, really interesting company, interesting story. You know, I remember seeing the, uh, I, I don't know if it was a meme or what it was at the time talking about like, uh, you know, the the world's largest transportation company doesn't own any cars, the world's largest real estate right. company doesn't own any real estate, right? right? Um, talking about Airbnb and Uber, obviously. But I'd sure. well, I mean, love to hear I was used bit. to this because I yeah. my first uh, you know, jaunt into the corporate world was eBay. Yeah. And we, yeah. we sold, you know, we had, <laughs> sold we a bunch of say, stuff you don't we own. We have a warehouse. <laughs> we didn't own anything, but we were you know, selling, you know, yeah. selling more, more items than anyone else. And I like that as a business model, obviously, yeah. right? It's great if you can... Uh, if you can make money uh, connecting people. Yeah. And I, I always love that idea. It's sort of a common thread for me in my career is I love the idea of connecting people over common interest. Yeah. Uh, and because I actually think it makes the world a better place. Yeah. Um, you know, if you can actually get to know somebody in a different part of the country or a different part of the world, uh, do business with them over some sort of a common interest, it makes the world a little bit of a smaller place. And you know, the internet, we hear so much today about the bad in the internet. Yeah. And and it, I think it has had some negative uh, consequences for society. But I believe in its good and the power of good yeah. uh, that, it, that it has. And I think this notion of connecting people is really powerful. And so for me, that was really attractive about Airbnb. It was, um, it wasn't just about a, uh, an empty space, taking advantage in a utilitarian way of an empty space. It was about connecting people. And that's the way the founders looked at it. And that's the way everybody in the company acted. Everybody in the company in the, uh, talked about how many connections are we making? Yeah. As opposed to that's just cool. how many rooms are we filling, right? Yeah. And I think it inspired everything that we did with a sense of purpose that, yeah. that made it, uh, the hours were tough, but it didn't seem quite as much like work when you're working towards something that you believe in. Yeah, absolutely. When you have a mission that you can get behind on a and internalize on a personal level, it makes work a lot less like work and yeah. a lot more like uh, like something that you do, right? It's, it becomes that, a that, life that, purpose. That, it ties yeah. into your purpose, why you exist. It exactly. very much ties into who you are. Yeah. And you know, if it's going to be who I am, I want it to be more than just about money. By the way, I think this is not unusual today. I think yeah. you know, more and more when I talk to to younger people, um, everybody wants a paycheck. But yeah. they want more than a paycheck. Right. They want to feel like they're coming to work every day, changing the world, and yeah. do it, uh, advancing something in a way that uh, uh, is consistent with their own values. Yeah, absolutely. So you wrote intentional integrity. Um, what does integrity mean to you? Well, that's what's an interesting question. And I think that you added <laughs> the you added the words. What does integrity mean to me? Yeah. And the integrity is not some uh, concept out there that is fixed, that everyone agrees on. Uh, we've all got our own definition of integrity and it's all based on how we were raised, what the, what's the culture of the place that we come from, what's our religion, what are our life experiences. And as a result, as we go through life you know, the, and, and have these life experiences, it forms in each of us 
uh, our principles, our values, and what we think is right or wrong. Right. So um, it's possible for the you know, two of us to look at the same issue and violently disagree about it, but right. for us both to have integrity. But I think it's about forming your, your North Star, your principles, your values. And then once you form them, um, acting in accordance with them. Yeah. Um, even when it's hard, even when it might not necessarily appear to be in your best short-term interest, right. uh, still doing it, even if nobody's watching. Right, um, right. But it's about, I think, uh, having the, uh, the firmness of, of a belief in something and belief in what it's right. Now, there's another aspect to it, on the other hand, and that is you can't be too stubborn and fixed either. Right. But there's an aspect to integrity of, you know, being able to recognize when you're wrong. Right. Uh, you know, being able to, to look at yourself and say, you know, um, I made a mistake. Right. Uh, or having the self-awareness to evolve and realize, you know, I used to think that. Um, but it's uh, I think it's you, you want to get it right, not be right all the time. Yeah. And it's and so in, integrity is something that can evolve as well. And I think it's important for all of us to be open minded um, and be willing to think through things as well. Yeah, absolutely. Alyssa, what about you? I would say integrity means acting with strong morals and in a way that you're proud of, but also being honest with the people around you about what that means to you. So, so that they would notice maybe too, if something was a little bit off there and you, they know your morals. Right. Yeah, it's interesting that when you say that noticing people around you, um, when I was doing the book, I, I spent some time at Duke University with a guy uh, Dan Ariely, who's a behavioral psychologist. And one of the things that he taught me is that integrity is actually contagious. Yeah. And right. that, you know, we all want to feel good about ourselves as human beings. Mm -hmm. And we're inspired by people around us. Mm -hmm. um, and if people around us act with integrity and we see that they do it, it actually makes us, you know, a little bit like, well, you know, I'm a good person and mm -hmm. it yeah. inspires you as well. And uh, the people that have the biggest impact, the carriers of integrity are leaders. Right. Because everybody looks up to the person who's been successful in their career and they're doing well. And uh, so if a leader acts with integrity, that permeates the culture. We in the in the book, I talk about this idea where the leader is a thermostat, mm -hmm. uh, not a thermometer. Right? right. A thermometer takes the temperature of a room, but a thermostat sets it. And by the way a leader talks and behaves, they're actually kind of creating a climate that everybody in the company right, is living in yeah. and is affected by. Um, so I, that's one of the things I kind of like about integrity. I think it's not just about you, mm -hmm. uh, but it's also about people around you. Mm -hmm. and being able to create that sort of universal sense of what is, you know, what what is the set of behaviors that is core to your organization, I think is really important that uh, what are those things that really align with the, you know, the sense of the collective sense of integrity across the organization. Right. Well, it's it's part of this whole amorphous concept of culture. Right. Right. What's the culture of your of your organization? And the culture is so often defined by founders and leaders in the company, yeah. and the way everybody's watching. Integrity today, you know, I say that it's what you do when no one's watching, but everybody's yeah. always watching. And we live in a very transparent world. People can instantly communicate mm -hmm. problems that they see. And so um, 
you, you have to understand that as a leader, that you're under yeah. the microscope. And you have to embrace it. I think it's harder to be a leader than ever these days, in part because everybody's watching you and uh, people, you know, people love reading negative stories online. Yeah. And so, you know, if somebody somebody can take a shot at you. It might not even be fair, right. but they're going to take that. They're going to take the shots. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No one no one clicks on the headline and says the company did the right thing. <laughs> no, right? Sure. Unfortunately, <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, I try to just you know, in the hopes <laughs> that maybe. Just fool the algorithm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, oh, he's a really positive person. That's great. <laughs> yes. Um, so within an or within an organization. What role can in-house legal teams play in creating a culture where you're exercising the highest level of integrity, your ethical compass is dialed in? Well, I mean, I think of any organization in a company, it's probably legal and, and HR, I think okay. are the two that um, have the biggest impact on the, uh, the ethical nature of the company, that and the leaders, right? Um, too often, people don't talk about integrity in a company because I think part of it is because none of us are perfect. Right. But integrity is not about being perfect, right? It's about uh, being able to recognize when you go off track and get yourself back on track again and, and trying to live according to certain values. Um, but I, I think what in-house can do is they can talk about the importance of integrity. And often what you hear from lawyers is they talk about compliance, yeah. right? And compliance is very important. But compliance is doing something because you're forced to do it, yeah. because the law says you've got to do it, right? Or the legal says you've got to do it. Right. Um, what I think in-house in lawyers can do is they can broaden things a little bit. They talk about compliance, but I think they've also got to talk a little bit about doing the right thing because it's the right thing. Right, right. right. And yeah. if, you've, if you can help instill a culture of integrity in your company, uh, you actually make your compliance program better. Yeah. Because now people are, are are doing the compliance not just because the law says it and because they're, they're forced to do it, but because it feels like the right thing and it speaks to their own values. Yeah. Uh, and I think in-house you know, lawyers can play a leading role in instilling that culture by talking about it and encouraging other leaders in the company to talk about it. So one of the things that we talk about a good bit here on Cockpit Council is managing up. and. Integrity is what it's one thing to manage up from a compliance perspective. It's another thing to manage up from an integrity perspective. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some of your experiences or maybe you've been fortunate enough to not ever have to do that? Oh, no, you have yeah. to. I, look, right. <laughs> all, all of us have, in, have an integrity moment. Yeah. Uh, at, at, at a company, you know, probably yeah. every, you know, probably every few weeks. And, and <laughs> the shame is if you miss the integrity yeah. moment, right? You've, we're all tested and there are always, uh, always moments like that. I think the, one of the things that I found is more, effect, more effective is to be proactive in that I think a lot of times lawyers are tempted to, to uh, hide under the desk and think, oh, I hope nothing goes wrong today. Right. I hope there are no problems. <laughs> you know, they, they see the headlines from other companies about lead, what leaders have done. And they're like, oh, I hope it doesn't happen here. Uh, what I think it's important for lawyers to understand is that um, you can affect that environment uh, by being proactive and talking about it. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, uh, when, when Me Too started happening, you know, one of the things I did is we had a executive team meetings. And yeah. so I, I blocked off some time on the executive team calendar to talk about it. Right. And I talked about a few of the headlines, including mm -hmm. consensual relationships uh, yep. among with leaders and people on uh, on staffs. 
And I asked the question, I said, should any of us as executive team members have a romantic relationship with, with someone at the company? Right. Right. And we had a little discussion about it. And I said, you know, perhaps in light of all this happening, why don't we all agree that we're just not going to go there? Right. Do we, is that something we really need to do? And I remember somebody in the room said, oh, Rob, we're all married or in relationships anyway. And, and, then, and I said, and that doesn't seem to stop people, does it? And everybody yeah. laughed. Uh, and then we went around the room, each of us, yeah. and everybody said, I'm in. Yeah. And what the significance of that is, um, it's if no one ever talks about it, yeah. it's easy to sort of rationalize you know, and to, to sort of fall into it. Yeah. Everybody in that room understood that if they viol if they went that way now, they were violating their word to the rest of the people on the team, which, by the way, would mean they were probably going to be having to leave the company. That's right. Right? Yeah. So we had a pro having a proactive discussion about what are we how are we going to handle this issue. Yeah. And I would have, every six months, I would have 30 minutes on one-on-one uh, -on -one with every other member of the executive team. Yeah. And the purpose of the 30 minutes was really an integrity check-in. Okay. And it was a reminder. I might even have a couple of headlines from things that had happened at other companies. Right. Uh, around, you know, it could be financial irregularities, it could yeah. be sexual misconduct or, you know, and the like. Um, and just talk about a few things that had happened at other places. Ask them if they'd seen anything on their team that concerns them and the like. Right. And the reason I did this with leaders, leaders are particularly susceptible to integrity problems. Yep. Why? Well, it turns out, you know, scientifically, that if you've been successful in business, you've been successful in your career, it actually lulls you into a sense of security and even a little bit of an uh, arrogance that right. I've always been able to manage every situation. Yeah. Right. I've got a certain amount of power and that entitles me to act a particular way. Right. Simply talking to other leaders about this, just yeah. say, look, you are more susceptible, leader. Yeah. than the average employee to this type of a problem, um, unless you're aware of it, unless you're on guard about it. Yep. So we're going to take a few minutes every now and then. We're just going to talk about it. We're going to have check-ins. We're going to remind uh, remind each other about this sort of stuff. Yeah. Because this is career-altering, mm -hmm. potentially brand-altering, the sort oh, of yeah. things that can happen. I mean, you and I, we could sit here and talk about 20, 30, 50 companies oh, where yeah. we've seen blow-ups with brands around this sort of thing. Yep. And so... For me, I felt like as the lawyer it was up to me to grab this a little bit yeah. because ultimately it's supposed to be my responsibility to protect against risk. Sure. Integrity related issues among leaders, significant risk to companies. Yes, it is. It takes, takes 30 minutes here and there. It takes a conversation at an executive team meeting. Um, but by doing it, I think you can uh, insulate yourself a little bit and you can be proactive and you're less likely to have problems. It seems like an opportunity to uh, an opportunity to be a little bit vulnerable yourself as well and help to build those relationships across the organization, right? Sure. I mean, we've all made mistakes. We've all, we've all done yep. things that are wrong. And yeah. so just having an honest conversation about the temptations to do things that are wrong, you know, may, you know maybe it's a, a business target. I'll give you a, a great example. I, they, we, we cleared this. I could talk about yeah. this, uh, this Airbnb story. Um, I get to the company and... We had this uh, this goal, business goal. We were going to hit 200 million nights this particular year. Yeah. Okay? 200 wow. million nights. So I'm thinking it's a lot, a lot of nights. Holy cow. A lot of nights. A lot of nights. But everybody in the company is aligned around it. It was yeah. something that I, I talked about in the book, this notion of it's the number on the wall. Right. So whenever you went to a company meeting, 
there it was on the slides. Yeah. Right. Every time you went to saw a slide deck around what the company was goals were and stuff, 200 million nights. I think about 200 million nights. That sounds perfectly reasonable. We can we can hit the number. Um, and then one day I was looking on on the site, and I noticed there were some hosts that had bad reviews. You know, like out of five stars, they were averaging three stars, which as, okay. you know, as we know, that's not very good right, in right. the online in the online review world. Uh, and I know I looked at the reviews, and they were things like uh, they weren't uh, the pictures of the of the residents were misleading. Okay, the places weren't clean. Okay, um, the guests uh, weren't being greeted. Uh, the Wi-Fi might not be working, and that sort of right. stuff, right? So I find the team that's responsible for this. I go yeah. and say, hey, look, why? There's this host and this host and this host. These reviews are terrible. So these people are going to kill our business. Yeah. Why aren't we removing them from the site? Yeah. Never forget it. Guy looks at me and says, well, Rob, you're right, but even a bad night is still a night, and we need to hit 200 million. Yeah. And it hit me. Yeah. Right? And... Immediately, next executive team meeting, we, we had a long conversation about it. I said, yeah. you know what, this idea of a number on the wall, this idea that there's a business goal that's so powerful that everyone is lined up against it, it can actually cloud out doing the right thing. Right. And that that becomes doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, for me, there's nothing wrong with goals. You know, they're, they're obviously really important to a lot of people. But yeah. You've got to also make sure that everybody understands that nothing clouds out doing the right thing. And right. If, if it's leading us in a bad direction, then somebody's got to have the courage to raise their hand and say, you know what, this isn't healthy. So in that particular case, we simply changed the number to good nights. So a night didn't count unless it was a five-star night. Okay. Now we were all aligned around doing the right thing for the business in the long term. Yeah. You've got to be careful when you set those goals because they could be powerful motivators for people. Well, especially when you start looking at people who are, you know, in, in different types of business. Well, I don't I don't know about folks at Airbnb. I don't know about your pay structure there. But like people who are commission based, uh, you know, where their pay is incentivized on, on targets like that. That's I mean, those are areas where you have massive potential. Oh. For for people to drift away. Look from, at Wells Fargo. You know, yeah. Wells Fargo had a terrible scandal, uh, yeah. where um, and, and it, at its root, it came from uh, the sales team. They were yeah. told that they had to increase the number of accounts per account holder. You know, yeah. like credit card, uh, savings account, checking account, mortgage, car loan, all that. Right. Right. And the goal the goal was eight. Eight is great, but became yeah. their, their slogan. Okay. And the sales team was told, if you don't hit your targets, you'll be working at McDonald's next month. Wow. Those exact words, right, that came out. Now, when you're told that you're going to be working at McDonald's next month, right, if you don't hit a number, yeah. that will incent people to do really just about anything. And that's what happened. The, the Wells Fargo sales team started opening up accounts for people who didn't even ask for the accounts to be open. And they, people were being charged fees on accounts they didn't even know existed. They were phony yeah. accounts. So um, I think just being aware of the incentive structure that you've got and, and, and what you've created um, and making sure that people are always incented to do the right thing. Yeah. It's important. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, it, I mean, I, I can't even imagine being like I can't imagine any manager anywhere using that kind of language with with like I, I oversee HR and 
like if there were a manager within this organization that was like you're going to be at like working at mcdonald's like it's it's just it's so far from the right way to motivate your staff. But there are going to be people who, right? who are listening to this episode, <laughs> yeah. Tim, who work in an environment where the leader says, we are going to hit this number yeah. no matter what. I don't care how you get it done. Just come back and tell me that you've done it. And unfortunately, yeah. that's the way that some leaders operate. And they think that's leadership. Yeah. And that's not leadership, right? And right. I think you know, great leadership inspires people to hit goals. Um, it doesn't set goals that are entirely unrealistic, and it doesn't ever put anybody in the position of, um, you know, if you if you miss something despite your best efforts, uh, yeah. you you know you could be out on the streets, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, I think about setting goal like goal setting is an important tool, and I think it's an important tool more for accountability and less for motivation, mm-hmm. right? Like the more the more that I think about. The more that I think about how you like, yes, it's good for people to rally around a goal, but just a goal without the integrity to how you reach it, it really loses basically all meaning, right? Uh, ben Horowitz, uh, I sat down with him for the book, yeah, and and he told me when he was CEO, every quarter when he would sit down with the CFO, they 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 had the numbers in front of them. Yeah. And he would always look at the CFO and say, is everything in these numbers, everything in these sheets, is it accurate? Is there anything in here that's misleading? Right. Is there anything in here that you felt forced to put in that you're uncomfortable with? Because right. he would say, we might miss a number. Our yeah. stock price might go down. Yeah. But we're not going to lie. We're not going to cheat. We're not going to break the law. Yeah. And just taking the moment to, to have that exercise each time sends a powerful message about the kind of company that you want to operate. Yeah. Then you can push, then you can talk about how, you know, how could we do a better job to hit numbers and the like, but you've always got to have that base of, you know, we're not going to lie, we're not going to cheat, we're not going to mislead people, we're going to follow the law. Right. And I think even for, even for smaller organizations, as you, as you look toward, whether it's, you know, whether it's the SEC or whether it's your own your own board of directors, everybody has a boss, everyone has managers. I feel like people who, who try to uh, try to obfuscate stats that are bad, whatever they are, not only is that almost always very easily discovered, right? But what it shows even above and beyond like a lack of integrity is, and, and, and above and beyond the breaking of that trust that you should have between the leadership and the board, it shows an unwillingness to change what what you're doing, which perhaps if I'm a board member or an investor is even worse. Like, okay, even if you had told me the truth and the trust was there and you didn't cover anything up, you're still not doing anything about it. Like, why didn't you hit the number? Why, like what's going on? It's like, Oh, well, we'll just we'll overcome it in the next quarter or we'll overcome it in the back half of the year, whatever it may be. And it's like, all right, well, probably not. If you keep doing the same thing, like you're not taking any ownership, any accountability. I always felt better when I heard somebody telling me that something didn't go right. Yeah, because um, it's I, something to fix. It's, and it's tra- I love yeah. the transparency. It's, you build trust when you talk openly about something that hasn't yeah. worked. Uh, and I agree with you that once once you've confronted it, that's the first step to actually getting the problem fixed as opposed to obfuscating it and kind of pretending it's not there. That's exactly it. 
That's exactly it. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And also, so there are many situations where it's not exactly clear what's right versus wrong to do. So what advice would you have for listeners that are facing a situation similar to that? Yeah, I, early in my career, I w was put in a position where I was making some decisions like that myself. I, at, at eBay, for example, um, I was responsible for being the decider of what you could sell on eBay. Mm. Right, which you know, it, it felt like an awesome task at the time. Now I realize it was not an awesome task. It was an impossible task, uh, with the laws being different everywhere, all over the world, um, and not just laws. But you know, there were there were some questions about if something's legal, should you still sell it? Mm -hmm. So they would come to me. Customer support would say, "Well, we've got complaints about this. We've got complaints about that. Should we allow it?" And I would, you know, say yes or no. Uh, they came to me one day with, um, there was an item, a guy had gone to the Vatican to get communion from the Pope, and he takes the wafer from the Pope. <laughs> you, you already know where this is going. No. He takes the wafer, instead of putting it in his mouth, he puts it in his pocket, puts it on eBay. So they come to me, the item's now for auction on eBay, and they come to me and say, well, we've got some complaints, what should we do? Uh, well, I wasn't Catholic. I looked at it like, well, it's a wafer. Right? It's a wafer. Pope gave it to him. Right. <laughs> so if somebody wants to buy this wafer, let him do it. Right. right. Well, I, I lacked the full appreciation for the gravity of the situation. Uh, uh, several days later, I get called into the CEO's office to explain why the Catholic Church has initiated a global boycott of eBay. Oh my <laughs> so, uh, the Catholic Church viewed this as the literally the body of Christ. Once right. it has been, once it has been, so um, that taught me a valuable <laughs> lesson, and that is, I don't know everything, <laughs> and no one knows everything. Uh, we all come from the different backgrounds, different cultures, different life experiences, and if you're going to make a decision along these lines, you better get input from people with different cultural backgrounds and experiences, right? So, what I did in that particular situation, I immediately set up a team of us that, you know, global team, people with different backgrounds who started commenting on these sorts of things. And later, when I was at Airbnb, we did the same thing with ethics advisors. So when ethical issues came up that weren't directly covered by the code of ethics, um, I wasn't the one making the decision alone, although I might be the final word on it. Um, I would actually start listening to what other people would tell me about their perspectives on things. And I can't tell you how many times my initial reaction was to do one thing, and after I heard from a lot of different folks about their perspectives, I ended up changing my mind. And decisions are usually better when you get people from the different backgrounds to start chiming in and helping you think about the problem in different ways. Mm -hmm. Definitely. That's a very powerful story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, eBay got you know, the most interesting. Uh, we had items... Um, for example, we had uh, items that were Germany World War II items, for example. And the question came, should we sell something that was that might have a swastika on it? And, you know, the, their one perspective is, well, this is important stuff. This is in museums. We can't pretend that World War II didn't exist. We need these items because they help us understand what happened. On the other hand, do you want to be profiting from the sale of items that have a swastika on it? 
So that's that's a complicated question that really needs input from a variety of different places. Um, so it, it the, the world is full of gray area, interesting issues, and it doesn't matter what business you're in, you're going to have gray sorts of, of, of items that you've got to address. And I think not putting the pressure on yourself as the lawyer to have all the right answers mm. uh, alone uh, and just recognizing that, look, this is gray. And you know, we need to consider some different perspectives to get it right. It's important. How have you found your approach to your approach to those gray areas? How have you found that to have changed over your career? Well, I, it, it is really one that I don't have all the answers. And I, I, I think early in my career, I thought that was the right answer to things. Right. right. There's right in the world. There's, there's what is it, the Superman quote? Yeah. Right. There's right in the world and wrong in the world. And it's easy to tell the difference. Right? right. Almost like as a federal prosecutor, you know, you're guilty or you're not guilty. There's good and evil. Right. I, I think what I've learned is that it's not that clear all the time. Yeah. That you know, there, the world does throw a lot of gray at you, and. Uh, acknowledge acknowledge that there's gray acknowledge that there are challenges and you know recognize that you may not have all the answers so getting that that varied input is important and also understanding it in the company context uh, know your vision yeah know what yeah. is what is your company's north star right. because you know, like i've got my own background i've got my own principles i've got my own sense of, of what integrity is but uh, i'm just the lawyer Right. Right. Now, a company has a mission. A company has values. Um, the leader of the company, the founder, often has a powerful impact here. Understanding that, defining that, and making sure that you're making decisions that are aligned and consistent with that mission and culture is really important. Yeah. And not necessarily an easy thing to do. You've got to you've right. got to get some work, you know, put some work into understanding all of that. Now, because a lot of companies don't define it well. Right. They haven't put a lot of time into defining why they exist and what their values are. You know, they've got the the vague, some vague values that could be anything. But right. um, spending a little time on that, I think, really helps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think earlier in the in the development of an organization, that you can do that, the easier it is to perpetuate perpetuate those values throughout throughout you know throughout your growth stages. And you know, it's one of the things that. I, I know for all of my staff, all of my hiring managers, I make sure that they think about our four company values and, and try to ask questions to see if these values match with the candidate's values. Mm -hmm. well, values yeah. and culture are hard to change yeah. when the company gets big. You can't turn around a big ship like that because everyone right. who's right. there has been hired uh, already, right? That's and, right? And the impact has been made. But I remember I, I was reading about uh, uh, Hewlett and Packard, right? And they how they first started, you know, their company in a garage. But when there were only two of them, they took the time to write out on one page what their values were. Yeah. And it sort of it, it served as a guiding north star in everything they did and in who they hired. Mm -hmm. And so there was not a big change that had to happen when they became successful. It was already embedded in everything they did. Yeah, exactly. It's just a part of the company's DNA at that point. And I, one thing I really enjoy doing is spending some time with small companies, helping them maybe have an offsite with leaders to actually yeah. help talk about this and tease this stuff out because it, doing it early uh, saves a lot of time down the line after success has grown the company. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I know a lot of the folks that uh, that listen to Cockpit Council, a lot of, a lot of folks are early in their in-house career at least. Um, 
some lead lawyers, some not. For those who are not, how can, what advice can you give to those folks to try to perpet <clears throat> further perpetuate um, this concept of integrity and being intentional about integrity where you don't have that leadership position yet? Yeah, I mean, again, leaders are the ones that really drive it. But yeah. a lot of times, you know, leaders just haven't thought about it. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, you have an opportunity to influence, to, to influence in this area if the company is uh, open to it and they just haven't thought at all about it, right? right. Now, you're, if, there's nothing you could do. I hate to break this to you if you're at a company like that where the leader, leadership doesn't care about integrity and they, uh, they're determined to, to, to be successful you know, no matter the means. Uh, you can't change the culture of a company like that. Yeah. But where you can have a big impact is no one's thought about it. No one's talked about it. And then what if you're the one in the room to ra just raise your hand and, ra and raise a point uh, that, that raises an ethical or an integrity related issue that no one else has said anything about? Right. I think that's a, it's actually a good thing to add to your personal brand. Yeah. That you're going to be the one in the room that's thinking about these sorts of things and raising it. And right. You know, you'll find that some places are really receptive. It it it, uh, it was just a subject that people were thinking. Well, we're we're here for business, so we're not here to think about that. Yeah. They haven't yet connected that business and integrity are actually deeply tied. Yeah. And companies that do it well will actually be more successful. That's right. So uh, if you can be the one to to raise that and talk about it every now and then and raise that perspective, good for your personal brand. It actually helps grow the business. Um, you might find that when you raise it, people are looking at you and it's not welcome. Uh, right. But that may be the time to start thinking about finding a place that is more one with your values. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you taught an integrity class at Airbnb. It'd be great to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, we, um, when we were thinking about how to drive it into the culture, uh, one of the things that we thought about right on, it, 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 I, I was reminded, uh, again, back to my mom, my mom always talked about how first impressions were so important. I said, well, we have an orientation program where all new employees would come to, to the city, San Francisco, um, for a, an orientation week. I said, what better time to talk to people about it and make a, make a great impression right up front. So we started doing an integrity class as part of orientation. Nice. Um, it, it actually turned out to be, they, they would take all the ratings. And they were very worried about a law, you know, lawyers teaching integrity. <laughs> Number one rated the, when we, after a month they came to me and said, we can't believe it, but you actually beat the history of Airbnb class. <laughs> and we laughed about it and thought about it a bit. Um, it, what we found was that the class, it, it touched people. Because again, people want more than a paycheck. They want to work at a place that they feel really cares about doing the right thing and values. But most of them had never been at a place where it actually had been part of the discussion. Right. And it had a powerful impact on people to have the general counsel of the company come in and talk about these things. I, I remember uh, one particular, one powerful moment. Um, I, it was a one-hour class where we would take specific examples of things that had actually happened at Airbnb or at places I had been before. <laughs> strip out the names yeah. and use them as specific examples and say, well, what, was, what is the right thing to do here? And some of them were pretty tough. But some yeah. of them were, I think, you know, not as hard. At the end of the class, a woman came up to me and she was literally in tears, Tim. Yeah. And I was like, oh no, what did I say? What did I <laughs> and, and she said, um, Rob, I, uh, I was working at 
one of the big tech companies in Silicon, in Silicon Valley. And she said, my boss got propositioned me. Wouldn't stop. Mm -hmm. And she said, I knew if I reported it, nothing would be done. She yeah. said, I had to quit my job there. Yeah. She said, this is my first day at yeah. my new job. She said, you have no idea what it means to me to have a yeah. leader in my new company stand up in front of the room and say that this sort of nonsense won't be tolerated here. Yeah. And that if it is, you can come see him personally. Right. Mm -hmm. And she said, I believe you. And That's awesome. it means the world to me. Yeah. So it you know it it touched touches people sometimes to be oh, able yeah. to talk about this and getting it right up front kind of sets the tone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know it's interesting like I think about think a lot about my career. I've been really really fortunate to be at organizations that that do and a lot of people would not think so the overwhelming majority of my career has been at online gambling companies. <laughs> All right. But you would not believe from the CEO, the board members, all the way through the entire organization, everybody wanted to do the right thing, right? Everybody wanted to act with integrity. Nobody wanted to make money off of someone who's gambling beyond their means, right? We put in programs proactively. Like you think about, you think about a number of different, like a number of different regulations within that industry that you have. And like uh, being able to go above and beyond, like I think there were like there were enough people who like personally didn't gamble themselves at, uh, you know, particularly at at one of the one of the organizations earlier in my earlier in my career. Um, but even like that integrity aspect, the fact that they cared about the customer mm -hmm. and wanted to do the right thing was the thing that even if they were morally opposed to gambling, allowed them to be proud of where they worked. Yeah. Right. Right. And I think when, particularly when you're at a company where you're in a regulated industry, yeah. I think intelligent leaders realize that it's really important to get it right. If yeah. you want to build a business for the long run yeah. and build a great business, you have to pay attention to this sort of thing. And so, you know, yeah. again, eBay, we thought a lot about it because there were so many regulatory issues. Airbnb yeah. had a number of these issues as well. So I think companies are smart. Yeah. Um, to get beyond the short-term thinking, recognize yeah. that if you get this right, it will actually help your business grow. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's a great story around the online gaming world because it, yeah. again, you get it wrong in that world, then the world turns against you. Yes, and very you, quickly. Yeah, very quickly. Very quickly, yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, we end every episode with some rapid fire questions. So if you're ready, okay, I'll I'm ask ready. you some. All right, so the first one is, what does a trusted and effective legal leader look like to you? A trusted, effective legal leader is sought out by the business, even on non-legal issues, right? Um, for me, a legal leader, um, if they aren't considered a business partner, people start avoiding them. Mm -hmm. They start yeah. seeing the legal leader as someone who's going to say no mm -hmm. and stop you from doing things. And so what do they do? They start finding ways not to go to you. Right. Uh, so I think for me, a, a good trusted legal leader has a good perspective, good advice on things, even that aren't necessarily purely legal. Mm -hmm. And you're, they're sought out because they've got a, a good perspective and they, the business feels as though the lawyer is also a business person, part mm -hmm. business person. The lawyer wants the business to succeed. Mm -hmm. What's different about the lawyer is that they are in the room and they've got legal training. So they're looking at problems from a legal perspective 
but they are a business person in that they are aligned with trying to make the business a success and figure mm -hmm. out ways to help the business grow. So I think that's the kind of environment that a, a successful legal leader creates. Nice, great answer. What is your hot take on integrity in the workplace? That it matters in that it will actually help your business grow and be more successful if you get it right. So, but it's a double-edged sword. You screw it up, it can wreck your brand and wreck your company. I think too often people think of integrity as, um, well, integrity's nice. You know, we'll give a donation to the local Little League team at the end of the year. Uh, but but we're, we're about business. This is about business. And my response to that is, well, I, I'm about business too. Right. I deeply believe that getting integrity issues right will ultimately make your business more financially successful in the long yep. run. Great answer. What is the best career advice that you've ever given or received? Let's see, the best career advice I think I've ever gotten is that the career growth isn't linear. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they, the, whoever came up with the word career ladder, I think was existing in the, you know, the 20th century. Um, if you want your career to grow, be open to different things that may come your way. They may not even be, they may not be legal. There were times where someone's, you know, I think Meg Whitman came to me one day and said, you know, Rob, we need a trust and safety department. This was back when I was running North America Legal Free Bay. We need a trust and safety department. So we got to stop fraud. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. I said, Meg, you're absolutely right. Somebody's got to do something about it. She said, I want you to do it. I said, me? I'm not the right person for it. I'm a lawyer. That was what I said back then. And that's when Meg gave me some really good advice. And she said, stop thinking about yourself as a lawyer. We don't look at you as a lawyer. You're not just a lawyer, right? So I think it's don't look at yourself in a way that limits you, right? Mm -hmm. Because great opportunities can come from different directions. Great answers. Thank you. All right, Rob, we always ask everybody, what is a cause or a charity that's close to your heart that we can help amplify uh, through all, all of our channels? Uh, I'm glad you asked the question because I think just asking the question uh, should hopefully amplifies in everybody's mind that it's important to give back. It's important yeah. to do something. And all of us ought to be trying to figure yeah. out something that we do to give back. Um, there's an organization uh, called Safe and Sound. Okay. And Safe and Sound is about security for kids. Oh, nice. Um, and because there's a lot, awful lot of child abuse actually comes from an insecure family situation. Right. So the, what I love about Safe and Sound is that they, they're very data-driven. Uh, okay. But they've come up with an approach that recognizes that if they want to solve the problem of child abuse, they need to solve the stability issue in the family. And they take a very holistic look at supporting a family. Okay. So uh, my wife and I both have been really involved with the organization for years and just love the fact that they've uh, they've shown so much progress and saw and, and helped. Uh, you're never going to completely deal, you know, completely eliminate child abuse, but they've made a real impact in the lives of so many families and it, it's uh, touched my heart. So I'm glad to support them. That's awesome. Yeah. And obviously uh, such an ambitious cause, right? To be able to, but the impact of just helping one is, Particularly it, it, has, it has ripple effects, uh, right? Also, I mean, it's an entire life. Yeah. That's when you feel real with a child, it feels like an investment. Right, like you've right. actually you've, you've had an impact on somebody at a young age who can yeah. then make e even be better uh, equipped to handle the world, and uh, so that's it feels really special to me in that sense. That's awesome. We'll make sure that we, uh, you know, that that we're able to get that out through our channels Wonderful. as much as we can, and hopefully drive people to support and uh, take action with the cause. Terrific. Thanks. Great. Well, Rob, thanks so much for joining us. This is an awesome 
awesome conversation. And uh, hopefully you'll come back and join us again soon. Love it. That'd be great. Thanks. And if you like this episode of Cockpit Council, give us a like, give us a follow on all the socials, and we will see you next time. Thanks. Thank you.